Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence, Lord. We ask that you would speak through Pastor Crawford and to Pastor Crawford as he delivers the word unto us today. And Lord, we ask that you will be in the midst of it, Father, that you will open up the hearts and the minds of your people, that you will begin to move in a magnificent way. In Christ's name we pray. Let the church say amen. 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 Most people probably in this room love coffee. And I would venture to say that several of you probably go to Starbucks. You will pay $5 for a cup of coffee. And in some cases, probably even more. But the fact that you love it and enjoy it makes you go there. Now, what's interesting about coffee at Starbucks is that, in case you didn't know, they actually triple filter their water. They do that in order to remove all the impurities that are in the water. So they're trying to make the water so pure that when they add the coffee beans or the coffee itself, that it will just mix perfectly and blend perfectly with that pure water to give you that taste that you love so much. It's the purity of the water that maximizes the flavor that's in the coffee. And so they make their coffee like that so that the coffee tastes different than a lot of other people's coffee. It's the purity of the water. Now, now notice that. And so the water and the coffee, they become one. I I thought I'd bring me some water. I I like to drink water, and so I brought some with me. Matter of fact, I needed that. I, I, I love water, but, but I also love, I love to mix my water. And I love this particular flavor. It's actually tea, and it's, it's green tea with mango. Green tea with peach mango. So as you can see, I, I just poured it in the water, right? And, and I put the top on it, and I'm going to shake it up. And when I shake this up, guess what? It, it, it's, it's water, but it looks different. It does, it's not the same as it was. What, what just happened? My peach mango mix just blended with the water, and now, whoa, it looks a different color, and I bet it tastes different, doesn't it? Yeah, it tastes like green tea with, mang- with peach mango in it. The water and the mix just became one. Now, there's no way that I can take the mix out of this. I can't do it. Now, there might be a way, but I don't know how to do it. But all I know is that it's blended together, and this is how it's going to be. It's together as one. Well, in the scripture, we're able to see in John chapter 17, when Jesus prayed his priestly prayer, It says this. This is what Jesus said, if you join me, John 17, 20 to 26. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. For the past four weeks, we've been talking about the Christian life and how it is to be lived through community. We grow in community together as a body. Now, look at what Jesus says here. He says in verse 21 that all of them may be one. Notice he's praying to the father. He's asking his father, listen, I have said these things to the disciples But not only to the disciples that I'm dealing with, that I just been with in a small group for for the past three years, but Lord, all the disciples, all the believers that are going to come after them. He started praying for us before we knew him. He started praying for us before we were even born, before our mother was born, our grandmother, or great-grandmother. He was praying for us back here in John 17. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice what he prays. He says that they all, that we might become one, but he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. In in other words, what he's saying is there's a standard. There's a standard of oneness, the unity that's between the Father and the Son. Now, we know that God is one God in three persons. And so we know that it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But aren't they a small group? They're a small group. So the small group was in existence from the very beginning. It was always there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what we see is that they all play different parts In in our redemption, they all were a part of our redemption. But isn't it funny that Jesus would say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What exactly is he talking about? So we know that it's a standard that he has established, but also there's a purpose of unity. And Jesus lets us know, here's the purpose. Not only does he say that we are to be one, And that they are to be like us, the Father and the Son together. But look at this. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent 
me. The purpose of unity is that the world might see that the Father has sent the Son, but he has sent the Son for a specific purpose. And so when we look at the purpose, the purpose of unity is so that they might see the Father. Isn't that interesting? And so as we go on, he then says, well, let's look at another approach to this. In other words, it's about a message. The message is this. There's only one central message that we see. God sent Jesus right from heaven to come down here. Jesus voluntarily came. And then what's the other thing? That the request by God is to believe in him through Jesus Christ. See, that's a crucial element. The belief in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about that in a second. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. But, but the world, Jesus was sent to the world so that they might believe. And then the third part of this message, which we just heard the song, right? Mission. Oh, there's a mission. And what's that mission? We just indicated it. To become unified. To be one to proclaim the message of the gospel as one, as a body. Whoa. So don't we do that on a personal level? Of course. But God also wants to do it on a level when we are together and unified, because now that is to speak directly to the world that the Father has sent Jesus. Whoa. And, and so when we look at everything that's out there, we hear all these voices, all these voices that are proclaiming different messages. There's, there's works, and, and there's ritual, and there's ceremony, and there's uh, denominationalism, and there's rules and regulations, and, and there's false prophets, and there's humanism, and there's brotherhood, and secularism, and morality. We hear all those messages, but what's the real message? Jesus gives it to us, doesn't he? And so when we see that there's a source of unity, what exactly is it? Because Jesus lets us know. Look, look at what it says in verse 23. And this is, this is amazing when you think about it. He says, may they be brought to complete unity. Brought to complete unity. In other words, the source of this is given to us actually in 22. What is the source of complete unity? Here it is. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. It's the glory. Oh, Crawford, you have totally lost me. It's the glory. I'm, I'm going to explain it to you. See, the source of unity is God's glory. God's glory was given to Jesus Christ. And so when we look at what, what break down that word of what glory is, when believers experience the glory of God, they are actually becoming one being. It's character. It's, it's who God is. It's, it's the glory of the cross. Wait a minute. The glory of the cross, that's glory? How, how do we become one? We become one because of what took place at the cross. 
See, we might look at that as being heinous and being ugly and, 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 and being bad. It's like it was a murder. Jesus was actually murdered? But wait a minute. See, that's what makes God different than we are. What might be ugly to us brought glory to God. The glory of the cross. Uh, yes, I'm sure that if there was another way to do it, Jesus would have wanted that to happen, but he knew that was the only way. The only way that we could experience the glory that God wanted us to have or to receive that was in him and Jesus is that Jesus had to come down in his humanity so that he could go to the cross and take on our sin. And yet that pleased God because the wrath that should have come down on us actually was placed on Jesus. And that is what makes it different than other religions or than religion itself. See, people can cry to God all they want to. People can try to come to God any old kind of way. But as we look at this prayer, Jesus lets us know that the only way that we can actually be unified is that we have to experience his glory. And the only way to experience God's glory is that we have to meet him on the cross. Because that's where the glory took place. See, the cross took care of something for us, but it also took care of something for God. It, it pleased God, even though, it, because God, you know, he has emotions. You know that, right? God has emotions. So I'm sure God did not want to see his son go to the cross, but he knew he had to put his own son at risk to do that in order to receive us back into fellowship with him. So Jesus willingly volunteered. Jesus volunteered to do that. And so it's, it's the glory of the cross where we relate to him. It's, it's the cross that levels the playing field. It, it's the cross that... That when we're able to, where a rich man can come as well as a poor man. The cross is where someone who might live in the suburbs can actually meet somebody in the ghetto. It's at the cross where everything is leveled. So because what you have to bring, it's not acceptable to God. Only his glory, which we can only receive when we receive Christ and the finished work at the cross. See, that, that's where this is going. The, the, the glory of the cross, that is what unites us where we fit into that redemptive plan that was laid out by God himself. But then look at something else that Jesus says. In, in verse 23, he, he says that Jesus requested that believers be perfected in unity. See, that's what complete unity is. Complete, perfect. But wait a minute, we're not perfect. So what is it talking about? Perfect unity? What, what is perfect unity? Well, well, perfect unity, it's to perfection of purpose. Let me, let me give you an illustration. See, the fact is, is that there's some children that we just had that, that walked out, right? They aren't mature yet. When you look at them physically, they still have to grow. So it's the growth process that he's talking about. And so when we look at what, what this word perfect is, 
It's one who has come to the end of the process of childhood. That when we, in, when they get a certain age, they no longer are considered a child. They are, they are considered to have matured, to have grown. They have now come to the end of their growth physically. But spiritually, that needs to tap into that. And so what's being said here is that there's an aim, there's a goal, there's a purpose. We, God desires for us to become fully grown. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow, be fully developed, our maturity in godliness. Now, now Paul tells us, you know, the love chapter in Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 11, what does he say? He says, when I was a child, what did I do? I talked like a child. What else did I do? I thought like a child. I reasoned as a child, but when I became a man, I let go. I laid aside childish things. Well, see, isn't that interesting? Because people can be mature physically, but there's a lot of adults that I know that act and think like children. Children. Hold up. He says when he became full grown. Full grown where? Full grown. In other words, it's a maturity process that should be taking place in our relationship with God. And how does that occur? It occurs by being around believers that are of the same mind and same purpose. That's what unity is. See, the unity lies in the place where we were brought together. And what, where was that? At the cross. See, what happens at the cross? The Holy Spirit ushers us, us, ushers us in to the family of God. We can only be a family member through Jesus. Jesus is the door by which we are able to have fellowship with God. That's the only way to get to the Father. He and the Father are one. They're unified. And then when we receive Jesus, we receive the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity lives within us. So God wants us to grow in our godliness. He wants us to mature. And so how does that process happen? It happens in the realm of believers coming together on a regular basis. I'm going to show you that in a second when we look at the Apostle Paul. But the fact is, is that God wants to give a pictorial illustration or an ocular demonstration of what oneness looks like. And he does that through the body. It doesn't just happen outside of Christ. Because we can come together as a group and be of a single cause. I mean, we come together, I mean... I, I mean my son played baseball. They came together uh, uh, to play baseball. That's something to do together. They were like-minded in playing baseball. You can be involved with the civic group. You can be involved in, in other things. You can be on a bowling club, in a bowling club, or you can be, <laughs> you know, you can be involved in that stuff. So you're single-minded in terms of what you're trying to accomplish, but, but this is different. See, when we talk about growing and matured in Christ, 
in godliness, it has to do with the spiritual realm that that directly correlates from the spiritual into where we live in the physical realm. God made a way for us to communicate with him. He has made a way for us to interact with him. He has made a way for us to know what he wants us to do. And and so when we look at this and what's taking place, unification of, of us together is the body. That's what creates the body. It's everybody with the same mind, the same purpose, the same reasoning process in terms of understanding what the word is. And so the reality is, is that God wants us to grow and mature in our faith so that we might be adults. Unity. Well, let's see something here as we look at Acts 9. You remember the Apostle Paul? We're familiar, most of us are familiar with that story in Acts 9. And I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm only going to read part of it because I don't have that much time. And so when we look at Acts 9, I want to specifically look at verse, verses 19 to 22. It says this. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So here's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is on his way to kill Christians. He's going down to Damascus. He had gotten permission. Now, he was a Pharisee. Um, he, he, he was very intelligent, very well-educated in the things of, of the Jews, the law, and all that. He could speak three languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. Paul was the man. He's on his way to kill Christians because he's taking up God's offense. You know, he's defending God. That's what he thought. So one day, he's going down to kill some Christians, and Jesus stops him in the midst of the road, road to Damascus. And Paul has an experience. Now, in chapter 9, it lets us know that he hears a voice. In chapter 22... Luke lets us know that he actually sees him. And we can see that followed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, where we see Paul saying himself that he saw God because now he's affirming that he's an apostle. And so we see two different dynamics. We see that he heard the Lord Jesus and that he saw the Lord Jesus. And, and notice, I want, I want you to catch, catch this because I don't want you to miss it. He, when he hears the Lord in chapter 9, what did it say? He actually asked the Lord, 
Who is it that's speaking? Who is it, Lord? Lord. Now, you read some commentaries, it might allude to sir, because they used to say Lord back then, not to mean master, but also to mean sir. So he could have been doing it, sir, knowing something, something is happening. I know exactly, but he could have meant, sir, I really don't know. But then, here's what's interesting. Who are you, Lord, he asked in verse, in, in chapter 9, but we see in chapter 22 that he says, what shall I do? Let, let's, let's catch that. Both of those go together. Who is it and what shall I do? And so when we look at what Paul's showing us, Paul actually shows us, okay, he was getting ready to do it. He was doing his own thing, thought he was doing what was right. Jesus stops him in his tracks. He blinds him for three days, and then he ends up down in Damascus, and look at where he goes. He's directed to go with the disciples. Now, here in the text, it says certain days. You know how many days it was? I'm going to tell you. 1,095. He spent three years in Damascus. Here's one of the smartest men in his time. Why did he need to be discipled for three years? And notice who he was spending the time with. This well-learned man was spending time with other people who were probably less educated than him, to learn the things of the way. What does that indicate? I think for me, it indicates how important discipleship is. It didn't matter how much education he knew about the Old Testament. What God had to now teach him is about Jesus. See, he had to change his theological thought process. Because he thought he was doing everything for God, but now there was more specificity to it. The Messiah has come and has changed everything. So now the belief system for Paul had to now come over to Jesus, who was the one that he was teaching about. But it was more than just learning about him. He experienced Jesus. See, when you're in a small group, it's an experience. It's more than just coming to have fellowship. It's an experience of God. It's God being able to work in our lives and to change us and to make fun. And see, the world has told us you need to be by yourself. You don't need nobody. You, can, you need to handle things on your own. You can't trust anybody. They, they, people don't love you. You got to love yourself. Those are the messages that we hear, and we believe it. And those type of messages keep us isolated from the body, which in the body, look look at what happens. Paul lets us know. See, Paul, his nature to change. See, when you get saved, you have a new nature. You have the very presence of God in your life. Paul didn't know how that worked. 
Paul had to learn that. Paul was now filled with the Holy Spirit. He had to learn how the Holy Spirit worked. How the Holy Spirit works in one's life. How to listen to the Holy Spirit. How to move in godliness. How how, how to understand this God. To understand this Jesus. Why was Jesus now the truth? And don't we see what happens when we read the Bible? We see the writings of Paul in half the New Testament because of his relationship with Jesus. Wow. See, Paul joined and associated himself and identified himself with the believers. He experienced fellowship. He experienced love and concern and care. He experienced belief and purpose. He experienced the study of the word. He experienced the growth in Christ and the edifying and the building up of one another. He experienced the witness and the service. He experienced all those things. Doesn't that point back to what happened in Acts chapter 2? Isn't that where we get all this from, really? And then Paul went right into it. Well, what did we find out in Acts chapter 2? We found out that, wait a minute, when all these people got saved, 3,000 of them, that they experienced spiritual formation because that was the beginning of their spiritual walk with Christ. And then they experienced the evangelism, the growing of the church. They experienced reproduction, which is the multiplication of the church. They voluntarily gave stuff away, so they, they experienced volunteerism and then missions going across, not just where they were, but to other locations and, and the care. And they embraced all these functions that were taking place in Acts chapter 2 among the believers. That's what's supposed to be occurring now. And so when you look at us encouraging you, to be involved in small groups. That's where life takes place. That's where personally you can grow at a personal level. You can be involved with each other's lives. At a personal level, you can experience things that you can't experience here on a Sunday morning. You can receive mentorship and you can ask questions. Guess what? You can tell somebody who knows you well that can come visit you when you're sick in the hospital. And you as a group of people can go out into the community and do something for your neighbor and show them Christ. Look at all the things that can happen in that small group and and, and that's unity, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus was praying for? That they would be like us. We don't see no dysfunction among the Godhead. That's what Jesus wants us to experience. Because when we experience him like that, our lives are changed. Look at what happened to Paul. I'm almost finished. Paul immediately, after, after a period of time, we don't know where immediately fits in, but we know that once he got it about Christ, he didn't stop. He, was, he became steadfast. He was preaching. He, he was defending the faith. He was standing up for the Messiah. And, and he was doing these things. 
He was a testimony to the community. Now look at what happened when he came back. When he came back up to Jerusalem, hold up. Uh, Paul, weren't, weren't you the one who, you know, killing Christians? And it was Barnabas who had to tell the disciples up in Jerusalem, listen, he's a changed man. Let me tell you the story. Because he experienced Jesus. He could not stay the same. He had to do things differently. See, and so here he was, a religious man, but he had now had to put away religion because he had now entered into a relationship. See, we aren't religious. We're not religious. It's about having a relationship with Christ. Religion is what people want to do in terms of them desiring what to give to God. Religion is what, here God, I want you to have. Take my stuff. Take my good stuff. I'm a good person. Here, take it. Wasn't that a problem with Cain? Jesus said, no, I ain't taking your raggedy stuff. (laughs) Cain got upset, didn't he? What did he do? He he transferred it to his brother, killed his brother. And Jesus had, I mean, God had come to him. He said, listen, he said, I love you, man. All you have to do is do the right thing and everything will work out fine. But he allowed his emotions to talk to him. Here, God speaks to him directly, and he goes by his emotions. Isn't that like us? Just like us, right? Well, in small group, we can learn how to hear God's voice instead of our own. God wants us to listen to him because he gave us emotions, but he doesn't want emotions to do what we do. Our emotions warn us as to what's going on. But now we have to exercise a thinking process to do the right thing. And that has to be tied in to thinking biblically. Well, guess what? Where do we learn that from? Oh, you're right. Small groups. See, things take place in circles that don't take place in pews. Finally, when we look at small groups, when we look at God, when we look at how Jesus prayed, the glory, and what's supposed to happen, and the characteristics, guess what? All this ties in into purpose, into practice, and into commonplace. What? Yeah. It all ties in together. Purpose. We know what the purpose is. We already talked about it, right? The purpose is to, hey, they need to see, experience the Father through our unity. There's the purpose. Well, then what about the practice? The practice is what we do. The practice is coming together and reading the Bible and praying together and, and going out doing evangelism and doing missions and all that. that that's, those are the practices. Well, what's the commonplace? The commonplace is Christ. The commonplace is having the desire to be around other believers that are of like mind. The commonplace is seeing God move because of our unity. See, things happen when we 
are of the same mindset. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say uniformity. I'm not trying to make you like me. See, unity is different than uniformity. It's not about uniformity that you have to do everything I do. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about unity. Coming together as one. I think I might take a sip. Commonplace. See, there's five characteristics that can take place in commonplace. Here's what they are. See, in commonplace, when when you're in a small group, what can happen? Spontaneity. Things happen spontaneously. They're not forced. A lot of things can happen as the Spirit leads. Man, it's great to see God do that stuff. Just all of a sudden, you know what? Somebody, God speaks through somebody, and and then all of a sudden, hey, we can do that. And then when you do it, you actually experience the, the movement of God. See, spontaneity is part of it. But what else is? Availability. See? Availability. I don't have time for that. Isn't it amazing what we find time for? I'm not going to beat nobody up. I will find, let me talk about myself. I will find time to watch football. All you have to do is ask Bev. Don't bother me Sunday after work. I will sit there and watch five hours of football, no problem. So I can watch football on Sunday, Monday night, and Thursday night, but I can't find an hour and a half to be in a group with somebody? Notice I said me. I'm not talking about you. See, but the reality is, is that we find time for whatever we consider to be important, don't we? But we don't want to find time to grow in our faith and who we are. Who are we? Do you actually know who you are? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, guess what? You can find out who you are in a small group if you don't know. See, because if it's, if the elements that we see in Acts chapter 2 are operating in the small group, you can't help but to grow. And when you begin to grow like that, you will experience God in ways that you never thought possible. That's what God desires. He wants us to experience him. He wants us to see the things that we can do because of his presence. Don't let other things get important. Yeah, I know you have to go to work. I know you have to take care of family. I know you have to do all that stuff. But is that more important than spending time knowing your Savior and what he's able to do in your life? He does that when we enter into his presence in small groups. It's a community, y'all. So I would ask you to consider, maybe you can make a couple changes so that you can actually be in small groups, so that you can see your life take off in ways that you might not have thought possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his example of being a model for us. That it wasn't about how much he knew, 
but Lord, that he was willing to go live and to stay somewhere and be surrounded by people who knew what it was to be members of the way, following Jesus, and that he thought it not robbery to spend time to learn who Jesus was. Father, we pray that you might tickle our hearts, Lord, so that we might have a desire to want to experience you in different ways in our life. Give us a desire to grow and to mature in you so that we can have an impact on this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.